one of the things they talk about the battle of uh, when America came in and mm-hmm. the, the boat what was that called the battle of Sangwa Kangwa Kangwa yeah. I keep saying Sangwa sorry that's the tea you like that's <laughs> the battle of Sangwa tea yeah welcome to what should I watch a podcast to learn about interesting and inspiring Korean TV shows, aka Korean dramas. I'm your host T, and every week I help a guest with what to watch next. So I said market traders, but when I was listening and editing, I realized, hey, sounds like market traders. <laughs> sounds like the stock market. Yeah, like <laughs> big market guys. Like, in that sense, like, yeah, they're not low class at all. Welcome and thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, T. Hello and welcome to What Should I Watch? What did you think about the last episode? The last episode of the podcast? You think it turned out too nerdy? No, I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was fine. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, you know it's it's always a little different, right? But I thought it was uh, it, it was fun to talk about at least. <laughs> I have a hard time listening to myself talk, so it's hard for me to listen to myself and get anything positive out of it. <laughs> <laughs> but I enjoyed the conversation. That's for sure. You used to record yourself, though. Yeah, it was hard. You know, listening to myself. I think I finally was in a place where I could stand to listen to my voice because I was thinking about how to make it better or how to make the music better, but Hmm. never enjoyed that. For those of you who haven't listened to my podcast from the beginning, FYI, all the music you hear on my podcast is written by Grant. He also has some songs, like not just instrumental music, but songs. If you want to license, if you want to borrow, if you want to buy the tracks, just email me at watchshouldiwatchtea at gmail.com. Thank you. There's a nice plug there, huh? G Music plug. Yeah. You know, I was listening to my, uh, I was listening to last week's episode and I realized in my summary, I said market traders. Mm. And that's what it was, you know, you go and a lot of those, you know, low class people back then, they didn't even have snuff to sell. So they'll just go there and whatever they can, you know, get, they'll just try to like, yeah, trade and, or like try to get something for free, some like, you know, scraps of here and there. And so I said market traders, but when I was listening and editing, I realized, hey, sounds like market traders. Sounds like the stock market. Yeah, like <laughs> big market guys. And I was like, wow, that's not what I'm like. Because in that sense, like, yeah, they're not low class at all. So that's speaking it. of which, sorry, what are you good? Oh, no, I was going to say that's interesting. It makes me think of uh, early days in America, the Native Americans, you know. Um, that's how they exchanged goods with, uh, you know, the settlers. Because right. obviously there was no currency, so they had to... You know, here's some corn, I'll take whatever that is, and, you know, here's some fur or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it wasn't always money, right? So that's the same kind of thing. You know, they were in a time of uh, 
tough time in the country. So people didn't have money. They had to figure out how to survive with whatever they had, right? No, I mean, like in general, like social class. Yeah. If you're born low class. You don't have any Regardless money. of countries, you know, right. security. You know, if you're born low class, if you're born as farmer, you know, there's different social classes. And, you know, being rich wasn't always regarded highly. Yeah. I think that's the difference between Western world. And there's an expression in Korean, like, you're kind of poor, but you're a serious scholar. Right. And the more serious you are as a scholar, you're supposed to be kind of poor. Right. Because you don't go after money or, you know, anything. Yeah. I mean, scholar is in like, you know, probably modern day professors or, you know, doctor research people. Philosopher. Philosophers. And, you know, some of them were advisors to the rich or politicians or king and, you know. Yeah, I think that's the connotation that I associate with that is that if you're in that way, if you're serious about life and the questions and the mysteries, then you're not really concerning yourself with material possessions. You only have what you need, right? Right. You know, even if you're not trading, even if you have your own stall and you're selling at the market, Mm -hmm. they're also kind of low class business, modern day business people, you know, business owners, they're kind of low class. Right. And then, you know, they're butchers and, you know, all kinds of. So the high class would be what? Like nobles, just, you know, what we call old money. Yeah. <laughs> People who have like titles. Yeah, old money back, old in money. The, back in the old, the old time. They trace their family back. You yeah. Know. I mean, everybody has title kind of in Korea. That's the thing. Mm. Like all the family has a little like family book. So right. you can see like who your parents were, like grandparents. My family has that too. So goes on and on and on. So like noble titles was not necessarily, didn't mean necessarily wealth. It did. They had okay. money like through centuries and generations and generations. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's like the, I mean, that's kind of like Western that had kingdoms right. like yeah, you know, exactly. English or yeah. Spanish or. So yeah, the social class exists until the collapse of Joseon dynasty. Mm. until the beginning of 20th century. But in summary, basically what I meant is uh, market traders were not the market traders that you think of now. Speaking of which, the market's been really interesting this week. So, Yeah? How so? I don't know if I'm making money or losing money. It's kind of <laughs> in a weird spot. Up and down? I feel like I need to put more money in, just taking advantage of the situation right now. But I don't know. You have to uh, turn this into a, a market podcast and see if anyone has any uh, suggestions for you. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't usually say this for all the podcasts that I have, like part one and two. But for this one, just because it's the drama is based on a lot of historical events, it's probably helpful to listen to my first episode, episode 45. So if you haven't listened to my previous episode, Please go ahead and listen, at least first 10-15 minutes, and you can come back to this. Or you can listen to the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, don't dissuade people from listening to the whole (laughs) (laughs) It's okay, you can listen to the whole thing. We're fine with that. Yeah, so this is part two. Of What what were we talking about? Mr. Mr. Sunshine. Mr. Sunshine. Mr. Sunshine. 
we're covering this drama because August 15th is a big national holiday, which is Korea's Liberation Day. And this year marks 78th year of freedom from Japan. So like I said last week, this is a drama set in the late 19th century into 20th century. And it covers a lot of true historical events. But I don't want that to discourage people from watching this. Right. Yeah, it's not, you don't have to be a history buff or something or be interested in that true history kind of thing to enjoy this. It's just a TV show. It, it can be taken just as a TV show, right? Yeah. Just knowing the history and understanding the culture makes it more, you know, enriching. But um, it's not necessary for sure. But yeah, at the same time, for me, I'm kind of being cautious and being. I don't know. I mean, I might sound like I'm just talking or whatever, but like I'm trying to be like sensitive to what I'm saying because it's very important historical event and still right. kind of affecting the relationship of many countries. So, yeah, it's a little bit pressuring for me. Last week you were talking about, um, and you just mentioned it now, the different countries that were affected. So I think you brought up the Philippines and how they were involved. Yeah. Um, maybe uh maybe you could talk a little bit about that and you know also just how did and how did japan suddenly just how were they able to take over like how did that even happen yeah i wanted to get into that a little bit last week but i didn't want to like bore anyone from the first episode and we can bore them in part two <laughs> into like 10 minutes into the episode like here's a history lesson right, right after i said you don't have to know any historical events but yeah, I think I think it's interesting, and I think a lot of people don't know what exactly happened, but maybe you want to know. Yeah. I mean, same thing I said last week, you know, we all know what happened in Germany and to Jewish people, and that that's, you know, worldwide known historical events and education, yet, like, there's so much less that you learn in school about Asian history. Yeah. You know, not just Korea, but, like, what do you know about... Do you learn anything about what happened in China? Maybe, like, Tiananmen Massacre. Yeah, But, you barely. know, but, like, what do you know about Tiananmen Massacre, you know? Like, what do you know what happened in Indonesia, Philippines? Right. And the Philippines very closely related to America, American you, history, but yet, like, you don't really learn about that kind of stuff in school. There was a class in school. It was uh, it was called Asian Studies. <laughs> and that, seriously, that was what... It was in, like, like, grade school? Yeah. You had, but it wasn't like uh, European history, world history. Those were the two classes that you had to take. And then you could take Asia, Asian studies as a history, but it wasn't um, like it wasn't required like the other ones. You know, that kind of sounds like Asian restaurant. And well, you know, it's such a the... huge, broad thing. Yeah. I mean, you can't possibly learn much in a semester class about Asia studies, you know, like that's just, I mean, especially like huge. Asia being like thousands of years of, yeah. you know, <laughs> one of the oldest civilizations, you know, in all of humanity, it's the, uh, yeah. And then trying to divide it up between the countries and things that happened. Yeah. Well, the other thing that you said about the education and what happened with, um, you know, Germany and Nazis and everything, I think a big reason why that was also 
able to be educated so well is because Germany like owned up to it. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and they were a part of the process of saying, hey, yes, we did this and we want to make amends and we want to move forward and get past exactly. this. So yeah. there was a sense of closure, exactly. you know, and yeah. acceptance. And um, yeah, and, and I don't, judging from what I know, I don't think that really ever happened with, with Japan and, no. and Asia. You yeah. know, I think there's still a lot of animosity because it was never... You know, it seems like it's almost denied by, you know, some of the Japanese culture. Like, oh, this this is not how it happened or it didn't happen or, they're, you know, they're not owning up to it the way that Germany did necessarily. Yeah, so that's very complex issue. Yeah, we don't but, necessarily um, have to talk about that. But I did think think about that. when I Yeah, was... no, but you're absolutely right uh, what Germany did. And in fact, um, you know, when COVID was in the peak. Yeah. Um, I have an aunt living in Germany. She's been living there for now. I mean, she went there late 70s and married a German, and mm. she's basically German now, but <laughs> she told me that the German government couldn't mandate vaccines right. because the culture is so sensitive about forcing anything to anyone. Right, Even if it's over. Yeah, because it's a remnant of sort of like Nazi Germany. Yeah, so the, control, right? the yeah. government couldn't do anything, even though it's directly affecting public health. Right. They never, they couldn't like force people. That's so interesting. Yeah. So that's how much Germany is very sensitive and still self aware, yeah, self conscious. Exactly. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's good. I took German in college as a language, and my German teacher was, you know, from Germany, and he expressed that too about how just everyone felt mm. has so much like empathy and guilt yeah. and, and all that. And, you know, you don't necessarily understand that if you don't, you know, study yeah, that a little bit yeah. or, or learn about that culture. So getting back to the Philippines and Japan, <laughs> how did Japan suddenly Okay, so I'm going to try to make this super quick short and, and short. So basically before China was China, they were a Qing dynasty in the late 19th century. And around that time, they were going through sort of like Western culture wave kind of thing. And right. also that was a time a lot of Western countries were like branching out, like exploring Asia. And yeah. So China got that. And and same thing happened in Japan around the same time, late 19th centuries. So like both China and Japan were like, okay, you know, we can't just live like, live within ourselves forever. And similar thing happened in Korea, but it's a little more complicated because around that time, Japan was trying to take over China and also Russia and eventually, I mean, probably, you know, marching forward west towards Turkey and, yeah, you know. Just wherever they wanted, I guess. Yeah, so Korea was always kind of a stepping stone, first stepping stone, mm. right? You have to go into Korea in order to go into the land. Right, right? To, to get to kind of Russia and, and Exactly, China. to further march further right so you know geographically and politically korea was always kind of in between china and japan even to this day but basically um korea was kind of forced to sign this treaty in 1876 and that wasn't really like you know democratic like shaking hands okay this is cool we're gonna sign this deal <laughs> um because like korean royals at the time korean as royals and kings and queens so they were sort of forced by Japanese armed forces 
so it was you know, to go unf- into it, yeah. So it was unfair treaty, and that was eighteen seventy six, which is sort of around the time that the drama is starting. Yeah. And because of the treaty, it creates force to receive the Western culture. They they kind of show that, don't they? Yeah, they, they show do. that in the show. That, in, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think that's why it's important to kind of go over this because when you first yeah. start the drama, I'm like, you don't know what's yeah, happening. what is this yeah. or why is this happening? Yeah. And like maybe like five, six years later, I think it's 1882, um, Korea officially established a relationship with America. Yeah. So, you know, around that time, 1860 to 1890, around that time for like 30 years or so, it was very difficult time in Korea. A lot of Western cultures try to come in. Uh, same thing with the France and Japan try to come in and try to force Korea to be their ally, forced ally, or uh, try to take over so they can use them, use Koreans in the war. Yeah. So the, the bigger context is if you if you isolate it, you, you see Japan just basically wants to take over everything. So they're strategically <laughs> going into China. They're going right. into Korea. They're trying to just get as much land as possible and become bigger. It's exactly. the definition of an empire. Exactly, yeah. And then at the same time, the U.S. is starting to play around in this area. Right. They go to Korea because they don't know what's going on, mm-hmm. and they're trying to get a little more understanding about it. They get into a battle and eventually you know, get on some kind of good terms with Korea. So Korea is getting kind of hit from all different directions. Right. There's a lot of different interested parties that are coming in and seeing it as a, tr- a strategic stronghold to maybe move forward. And what's cool is we're talking about these things, but these are the things that start this drama. Mm-hmm. So you get the people of Korea and what they're dealing with, and then suddenly, oh, here comes Japan. Here comes they show this battle, which is amazing to see what yeah. they're talking about. Yeah. And, you know, talking about geeking out on these podcast episodes, like... <laughs> What's cool, I mean, I think people do this too. I know I do, but when, I, when I'm when i watching something and it's interesting and I know that it's true or has some context, I mean, what do you do? Yeah. I usually go and Google yeah. it and try to figure out more. Exactly. And that's that's yeah. kind of what's interesting about it. So I think it's fun to kind of say, oh, this is what's happening and this is also what, what they show, which is, you know, you could say a lot with a, with a moving picture. Right. Yeah, and then the American ship that came to Korea in 1871, that's the ship that Eugene Cho in the drama hops on to go to America with this American priest. Right, because his family dies. Yeah. And so he's all alone. So yeah, they, he's like, he's on off. the run because he's supposed to be the servant. Like, right. Servant slash slave. Right. So he's, like, it's forever. Like, your family's servant, it's forever. Like, your great-great-grandparents were servants, belong to one specific family. It's just, you know, generations, generations. Of, so... You, He's it running from that. But he also could have been killed. I mean, they could exactly. have just killed him. Yeah. So it's, so it's he's life running or death and, in that sense. Yeah. But then, yeah, the, all this stuff was happening. And then the first China-Japanese war is also called First Sino-Japanese War. That happens in 1894. And then Japanese try to take over Manchuria and then march into Russia. And then Russia was like, whoa, you know, what's happening? So Russia goes to all the Western countries. I'm like, hey, guys, just help me out here. Right. Right. And at the time, Korea was very Russian-friendly. I think even still Korea is semi-Russian-friendly-ish. There's something going on. It's different than, like, United States, America's point of view. Right. So, yeah, Korea was very Russian-friendly at the time. So Japan was like, oh, you're supposed to be, you know, my guys. But then you're trying to be (laughs) Russia-friendly. So Japan got upset 
Gotcha. So you see the like triangle there, like yeah. Russia, Japan, and Korea. So Japan got upset. So one day they ambushed the palace, and they killed all the royals, like literally the overnight. The Korean palace. Yeah. In Korea. Yeah, yeah, Korean palace. So that's how the last queen of Korea was, was murdered killed. brutally by samurais. And there are many, there are musicals, there are books, and there are like dramas about that queen. She was also very smart um well-known quinn for her whatever the quality that quinn's supposed to have yeah so that's kind of the first super aggressive exactly okay now they're definitely going to be you know they don't give they don't care about us they, they want to be enemies or they want to occupy us or whatever it right is. so in the show in the drama mr sunshine um asian the miss lady co her parents were doing sort of like this fight against the Japan because they felt like, okay, the country is unsafe, insecure right now. Japan's going to try to do something to us. And right. it wasn't like fully under it occupation. Right. But they, they were already feeling yet, the threat. Yeah, you can and tell something. Plus like America and France and all the Western culture and forces coming in. So they were trying to do, they were doing a righteous army activities. And I I think there's a line that Lady Ko says, how are we supposed to live this country? How are we supposed to live peacefully in this country when our queen is slashed? Something like that, you know. So yeah, before the actual occupation started in 1910, you know, the country was already kind of falling apart. And the one big punch to that was sort of from the America. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because America and France, France not so much, but America was trying to like see, you know, what this country was and what we can do with this. And I think also America could see Korea being the bridge between like Japan and China, Russia and all that, right? So it was important for America to be, you know, either colonizing Korea or super friendly to Korea or something, right? But then (laughs) what America did in 1905 was, I don't know if you have heard of this, but there's a treaty called Taft Katsura. Yep. So they signed a deal, which basically meant America's not going to care about anything Japan's going to do to Korea in exchange of getting the Philippines. Right. It was just like a land grab, basically. So they made a deal with Japan. And because the biggest thing was when you go into an area like that, they didn't know who was in control. Right. The only person that was stepping up and saying they were in control was Japan. Mm-hmm. So they're making a deal with Japan. You know, we're not sure about Korea yet either. It doesn't seem like things are going good there. Yeah. You know, America's still doing that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> That's what they do. They just, yeah. they go in and they're like, oh, yeah, let's, the FBI is listening let's to put us. a democracy here. Let's <laughs> put a democracy there. You know, that yeah. kind of thing. No. Um, but it's interesting too, you mentioned... Well, yeah, go ahead and continue because I like where you're going. No, I mean, that's it. So, you know, they signed a deal with Japan, America and Japan, and, you know. It America- basically left Korea very vulnerable because now no one's... Because in- before that, America was still... They sent troops and they were... They sent, like, missionaries and whatever, and, you yeah. know. They were, like, well, American had, forces they there. They hadn't taken sides yet. Yeah, and they were just kind of still trying to see what's happening. But right. now America's like, okay, we're not going to... You know, we're not going to be involved in whatever Japan's going to do. Almost like in saying, like, okay, Japan, if you want to take over Korea and march further into Manchuria, Russia, whatever, we're just right. not going to care. Just give me the Philippines. Right. And I think 
I mean, you can say they didn't know, or maybe they would say they didn't know, but they knew yeah. what the intent of the Japanese oh, yeah, I'm sure. country was. Yeah. Because when you're making that kind of deal, you know you're saying, okay, yeah, we don't care about anything else. Yeah. They probably didn't understand how motivated and serious Japan was, <laughs> and that eventually they were going to, you know, be a problem for everybody. Yeah. Which, you know, we know how that turned out. So, again, this is all pre-World um, War Pre-World War One, even. Pre-World War One, yeah. pre-World War II. Um, the other thing that you mentioned, um, which we I don't think you've talked about, you said the Righteous Army. Yeah, yeah. So the Righteous Army is important to talk about because this show is kind of showing you some of the origins of that. Exactly. And what they did and, like, why they're important. Right. Um, and it's also just a, it's a huge metaphor for just the Korean people right. itself. The Righteous Army itself represents Korea. Yeah. yeah. One of the things they talk about, the battle of uh, when America came in and mm-hmm. the, the boat, what was that called? The Battle of Sangwa? Kangwa. Kangwa. Yeah. I keep saying Sangwa. Sorry. That's the tea you like. That's right. <laughs> the Battle of Kangwa. Sangwa tea. Yeah. Uh, so the Battle of Kangwa was really interesting. They show this happening, but the way the American people and the way it was reported later was that they were completely outnumbered, completely outgunned, yet they stuck around and fought their lives. Like they, like their country was the only thing they had left. Right. And everyone that was there, especially the American soldiers were like, this is a group of people that has a very strong will and they care a lot about their country. And so that is kind of where this righteous army comes into Mm -hmm. play. It's the same group of people and the same, you know, Korean people that don't just want to roll over when someone's trying to take right. them over. Yeah. Know? So what is the Righteous Army? So, yeah, that's important because, you know, this show on the surface is a love story between Lady Ko and some love triangle, and it's all super emotional and beautiful and all that, different types of love. That's basically one axis of the story. The second axis is the Righteous Army. So they're mostly slaves, servants, low-class, you know, market traders, again. (laughs) (laughs) Working on Wall Street. Um, Butchers, you know, very low-class people. But they're the one that stood up with, you know, tools that you can't, you couldn't even call weapons. Right. You know, and what they were saying is that, you know, we're all going to die. So if we're going to die at some point anyway, we're going to die fighting. Yeah. That was their spirit. And I think the term is um, sort of like a grassroots in a way, but the term is the weed, the the Mm. citizen's weed or something like that, because you could kill hundreds of them, but there will be more and more. Right. There will never stop. So I think they always sort of the term that Koreans call themselves, also like foreign press call these righteous army people. Gotcha. Cool. I like that. But they have been around, not just around this time, 19th century. I mean, back in, you know, 15th century, there were times that we fought with China, fought against China, and, you know, early Qing Dynasty and Han Dynasty, and, you know. So the roots of this term actually go back much earlier. Oh, yeah, much, much earlier. Before even Chosun Dynasty, when there were three kingdoms, when there were... I think there were always, you know... um, I don't know, maybe it's just something about Koreans. They're just very it's feisty like, people. Yeah, it's <laughs> like the spirit of the, <laughs> the race or something. It's uh, it's very interesting. 
And you, you don't see that in a lot of cultures necessarily. I don't know, maybe France, the whole French Revolution. So yeah, that's the that's the Western kind of you know comparison is the resistance or yeah. you know all the rebellions that countries have had against you know yeah. whether it was uh, you know the system or the government or you know fighting for the people. Yeah, all those you know things were there in those places in France. Yeah, that's definitely they've been rebelling ever since they've existed, yeah. right? So that's probably the the closest comparison. I think it was interesting in this show and around this time um, when country was, you know, about to collapse. It was the movement from the nobles, like Lady Ko and the yeah. drama. Because, yes, Righteous Army has been there all, always. And there was actually, there were a few famous battles, um, right. even like named after these Righteous Army. There's a specifically like a farmer's, uh, farmer's Righteous Army battle. Right. Um, there are a couple of famous ones, but... Around this time, you know, even nobles couldn't just sit still. They had to do something. Whether they were physically involved or they were sort of being the informant or like Lady Ko, she was like assassin, right? So that's kind of, that stands out from the other thousands of years of, you know, this kind of movement. Yeah, and this is where the writing of the show they have so much context to pull from and create scenarios and situations. Yeah. It's so interesting because what the people of Korea are realizing is we can't stand by and do nothing. Right. We have to do something. And that's that doesn't matter what class it is, right? If right. we want to keep our country, like you said, it's not just a noble. I mean, it's not just a farmer who's got to stand up and mm-hmm. fight. The nobles have to do what they can. Right. But they have to be careful. Yep. Because the Japanese are there, they're coming in, and mm-hmm. some of these, you know, rich nobles have deals with them. So right. if they want to help out the resistance, they have to do it quietly or exactly. secretly. Yeah. And then there's also the um, the kingdom, the army of the, the king. Yeah. So that's like a separate army. Right. Right? And then you don't necessarily have a national army at that point. No. Yeah. So you have soldiers who, you know, the king, he might have a deal with Japan too, or... They have to protect that. They can't necessarily fight the Japanese. And then well, you have the king a, didn't have a deal. He just at that point the king already lost the anything. power. They they yeah. weren't too weak to even stand up or do anything against Japan, especially after the wife was slashed and right. the mom was like the king's mother was slashed. Well, you know? uh, yeah, I guess my point is here you have a you have an army that can't fight, right? Because yeah. they're like not allowed necessarily yeah. to get in with the Japanese, but they also can't get with the resistance, at least not directly. Yeah. So it's just this really cool melting pot of like, what are we going to do? Like, how is this going to work out? And then you also have Americans there. You have French there. It just depends. Yeah. They all have different things they're allowed or not allowed to do. Yeah. And yeah. But they also like, you have an instinctual as a human, like what's happening here? Like you, you want to be a part of this, this rebellion, you know, you right. want to be a part of standing up for something important. And uh, that's what's so cool about this show and the writing is like, Wow, like who are these people? Who's going to be like the leader and, and, and whatever? Yeah. And I kind of want it all to be true in a way, <laughs> you know, that there was this stuff going on. I'm sure there was. I mean, it is true. Yeah, I just mean like the individual characters. like. Oh, I'm going to get into that. There yeah. are some characters, there are actually a lot of characters that are Based true off characters. Of, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think the main love line between Lady Ko and Eugene Choi and, you know, the Korean Japanese samurai and then the rich Korean, you know, there was like three men and 
you know, it's a love story, but in a way, they're also all righteous army. Yeah. Because right. they were doing their part yeah. for Korea, you know, for the country. Whether they realize it or not, you know, especially Yoo Jin Choi, he didn't care. Like, he hated Korea. He could not care less about this country. Right. But while he falls in love with Lady Ko and while he tried to understand this girl and, you know, he couldn't help himself but help Korea. Yep. And I don't want to spoil anything, but that plays a big part in his decision making yeah but who he decides to align with yeah so Eugene Choi you know they all help Lady Ko doing her righteous army work which is not so obvious not so unlike frontline because she's a noble woman and also very famous noble woman but these men because they all love Lady Ko they help her in their own way so Eugene Choi he's basically American captain so he uses whatever Power, his power yeah to status. protect her and then you know help her in any way he could and Kim Hee-sung the rich fiance who's never gonna marry her right um, he has a lot of money so he's basically his namesake itself is a power yeah so that and his money that's what he uses to help her and then the Korean Japanese samurai he literally uses sword like his that's sword. That, that's more like the Typical, what do you call, like, the, um, oh, my God, what's the word? Like, I don't know. Like a bodyguard, but not bodyguard. It's like knight. Secret service? I don't know. But anyway, that's basically what he is. So he's more, you know, traditional type of bodyguard, physically yeah. protecting her he's kind of the, thing. I mean, you could look at it. He's the, uh, he's the muscle. Right, exactly. Right? Yeah. So Choi is, like, kind of the... The status and the, the the power, right? Political power and like, um, you know, he has connections, right? And then he song is the money. Yeah, he's the other part, the money connection, right? And then you have the actual muscle that's there right. to help you. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's and also you know their love for Lady Ko while they're doing all this, you know, yeah, they love her, but it's not so much of this whole, you know, romantic love. It's yeah, different. it's the more complex, you know, feelings, you know. Do you want to talk about the metaphor? Do you know the metaphor? I mean, for me, yeah, it's... Uh, okay. But I don't know if you I'll want to get into talk. that. Yeah. So that's the typical character. That's the surface, right? You have this triangle, this love story. Yeah. You have complex emotions. You have them fighting for Wait, something. Wait, is it triangle? It's four. Yeah, it's a, it's a, <laughs> maybe not a triangle, but... <laughs> What do you call the... A square? <laughs> a quadro? I don't know. Yeah. Okay. There's no... I don't know the word. Maybe there is a word. But uh, whatever this involvement is, this complex involvement, on the surface, it's just that kind of story, right? Where you have... You know, there's a war going on. There's a country. There's all these things that you are you think you're understanding and you're getting into. But now if you take a step back and you look at what the metaphor is and you look at Princess Ko, Right? She is Korea. She's Me. Princess Korea yeah. or the noble woman. She's She represents Korea, mm-hmm. right? And then you have the American soldier is, is probably America mm-hmm. with ties to Korea, right? right. Some connection. And America, this America is ta- making a choice to protect Korea, mm. right? And yeah. then you have this person who spent some time in Japan. So these Korean people that maybe have gone to Japan and come back, they have yeah. a choice, right? Do, yeah. they, do they side with Japan or do they side right. with Korea? And then you have the muscle, mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. which is a little bit different. This is this is he's, someone. He's probably Japanese. You could call. He's, he's Japanese, yeah. so he's but he's a fighter, right. right? So it's a fighter mentality. Who do I fight for? And like all of these things were, you know. That's why the love is more complex than just, oh, it's just mm. me, I love this girl. No, right. it's like she represents the country of Korea. Yeah. And these are all the outside forces that exactly. are yeah. entangled in different ways. Yeah. And they're, they have to make a choice. And that's kind of the noble decisions they make is they're going for Korea. They want to protect and stand up. And it makes you think about, uh, again, getting back to the more documented and educated, the Vichy government mm-hmm. in France. So this was... This was the Nazis. They took over Paris. They took over France, right? Yeah. And it wasn't Nazis that were running the country. Mm. They enlisted French people to run mm. the countries. Yeah. And this was a, you know, a propped up government. It's like yeah. you, you got some French noble person that doesn't really have any power. Right. And you say, hey, you're going to run this country now, but you got to do it for us. And so, in order for him to get his status, he's now oh cool I'm running the, I'm running the country, but really I'm just a Nazi yeah, puppet. Right. I don't have any real power. Yeah. But I'm going to abuse all the French people. Right. So this was the Vichy government at that time, and all of people like Camus and Sartre they were writing plays and trying to get yeah. people to say hey what are you doing right now Are you going to listen to this This isn't real Like you need to stand up and fight because you're a French person You know. And so it's very similar to that situation. Like, what do we do in these situations, you know? As a human, are you going to just let Japan take over? Are you going to be repressed? Or are you going to stand up and fight for what you believe in? And that's what's so cool, because if you don't know the story about the Korean people, they are going to stand up and fight for Mm -hmm. what they believe in. And that's what's so interesting to me, which makes this whole, like, drama so rich and just really cool and fun to watch, you know? You have the historical element, you have the writing element, and then you have this beautiful like metaphor and, and understanding about humanity as well. I think you have well defended your dissertation. <laughs> it's a lot. You are officially PhD. It's, it's um... a lot. <laughs> it's a lot, but man. But yeah, no, I think you're exactly it's right. It's really cool to yeah. see. And you know, I'm not getting it all necessarily right. This is a lot of no, the, I think opinion, you're right. But yeah. there's probably a, someone who can explain it or no, talk yeah, about it you're... better, but. I would say I'm you're 99% touching. right. Hey, I'm just touching on the little p- parts of it. There's a lot yeah. there. Hey, remember that Korean drama you watched like ages ago? Like Chuno? It's like somebody's Chuno. chasing after slaves, running runaway slave. And yeah. That was almost like your first Korean drama ever. Yeah, that was probably one of the first, yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, wow, I, don't, I barely <laughs> remember that. I think that came out 2010, I don't know, 2008 maybe. Um, what time period was that in? That's somewhere in the middle of Chosan. Right. Uh, maybe 16th century or something like that. But basically, you know, there were a group of slaves slash servants. You know, the Korean servants are somewhere between like servants and slave. Right. Typically, like in Western culture, they call slave. It's somewhere between that. So it's servants and slave. So group of these servants were like on the run. So... There's a specific occupation. It's kind of like a police. Slave pressure. Yeah, they're specifically only catching the slaves, runaway slaves. It's kind of like a bounty hunter, but that's what they exactly. do. Exactly. It's kind of like the DP. Slaves. Yeah, the, the, like the back DP. in the day Modern DP. Day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it, that's exactly what I thought of when you said that. I was like, what, DP? No. Yeah. But that's what Eugene Choi was kind of doing as a kid, 90-year-old boy. Yeah. Because his parents were killed by the nobles, then, you know. Well, and there's a character in this show, the two characters, 
that right. initially are initially they're the ones they that were the, for yeah, them, and right? they're the market sellers now. And then they yeah, end up they switch, yeah, they like switch positions. Awesome so. duo. Yeah, they're they're really funny. But speaking of which, so let me tell you about some of the characters that you you're like, yeah, I wish these characters were real. Like they are, like yeah. So I did some I my want them own to be real. googling. So Eugene Choi, he's like really this beautiful character. He's like charismatic and he's myst- mystical. He's American but Korean. But like when you're watching, like man, this is like 19th century. Like how could even like I mean Korea was afraid to open up their relationship to the Western culture. How could already be somebody American soldier? You know. Right. Um, yeah, that is interesting. But apparently there was a Korean man. His name was Hwang Ki Hwan, and his American name was Earl K. Huang. Hmm. So he was born in 1886, or some says 1888, and there's not much of... Record, yeah. Yeah, of, like, previously what he... Um, but he was born in Korea. He obviously. was born in Korea, um, somewhere near Pyongyang, what is now Pyongyang. Back then it was in North Korea, North it was Korea. just Korea. Just, just Korea. northern part, northern region of Korea. Right. right. So he was born in Korea. And for some reason, he moved to United States in 1904. And the record shows that he initially entered Hawaii. Wow. And that's how you have that ear. Because like when you come to America, like they stamp or whatever, you mm-hmm. know. So 1904, he came to the United States and he joined the army. He probably did that because as an Asian, you know, it was probably really difficult and no food and whatsoever. So he came in at like six or seven years old, right? That's what it says. It says he was somewhere in his teenage years, so maybe oh. like 13, 14, something like that. Gotcha. And, and then he goes into the army. He goes into the army. He fought in the World War One. Wow. In Europe until the war ended in 1918. So after the war ended, he didn't come back to the United States. He stayed in Europe, and he met this Korean man called Kim Gyu-sik. He's a very probably famous, I've heard of his name. He's an independent activist, sort of like little bit different types of righteous army right so there are a lot of these uh, independent movement activists throughout the world right trying to like get the words out and get the help from the western powers so he met this man kim gyusik in paris and they worked together for the provisional government and because Huang spoke english and korean he was an asset to this provisional government and what provisional government is basically is a self-established government because Korea couldn't officially do anything because Japan. Right. This was when Japan was already taking over Korea. So they made that. That's why it's called provisional government. So he began, Huang began working as secretary for the provisional government's Paris branch. And because of his English skill and he was already familiar with the Western culture, um, he knew like he could do so much for Korea. Right. So that's a little different than Eugene Choi because Eugene Choi was kind of split. Like, why do I care for this country? You know. Yeah. Well, that was the. Uh, they had to have that emotional arc for him. You know. Right. Right. Where he's fighting with his own demons. You know. Right. But then, yeah, real person Eugene Choi, Huang Kiuhan. So he traveled to France, UK, and the US, basically all the victory country of World War One. Right. So they traveled to those countries to educate the world about Japan's atrocities and gain help for the independence of Korea. And on the top of that, when Korean forced labor, so Japan took a lot of Korean men yeah. to use for their, I mean, that, I think that lawsuit with Mitsubishi is still going on. Wow. Uh, yeah. 
and Japan's basically not compensating or denying or something like that. That's still going on, I believe. So there were Korean forced laborers, and they were sent to the UK by Japan, and UK was going to send them back to Japan, and these people were either going to die or die in a coal mine or something like right. that. And it was Huang who persuaded the British government to stop that. Nice. And this is the biggest part. So there was a journalist called Frederick Arthur Mackenzie. Hmm. He's probably not so famous in the Western culture, but he's a big name in Korea, especially now after the show. So Huang met this journalist, Mackenzie, and Huang basically educated Mackenzie about what's going on. And, you know, you have to document this stuff. That's what you're here for. Like, you've got to get the word out about what's happening here. Yeah, exactly. To the the rest of the world so that they understand and can support. Yeah. Basically, yeah, Huang spent his entire life traveling around Europe, and he devoted himself to the independence movement, and he died in 1923 in New York at the young age of 37. Wow. And he was. I don't think there's any record, but he was buried at... The cemetery in Queens. It says Mount Olivet Cemetery in Queens. Hmm. But then, so like people didn't really know about him. He was one of the many righteous army independent movement activists, right? So people didn't really know. But after this drama came out, you know, same thing like you. Like people wish some of these characters were real. Right. So people started looking up. Um, Studying. Eugene Choi. and Researching. Yeah. So this uh, Huang Gi-hwan person were found that he was actually real. So the Korean government brought him back to Korea from the cemetery in Queens. Actually, this year, April 17th. So now he's buried in the National Cemetery of Freedom Fighters. Nice. That's great that they have that. Yeah. And here's that journalist, Frederick Arthur McKenzie. He lived longer than Huang Gi-hwan because he was journalist, I guess. <laughs> was he American? He was a Canadian, Canadian. but I think he was Scottish-Canadian. Oh. So I think he, sometimes he told him, told others he was British. McKenzie is probably Scottish. Yeah. So he was a journalist who covered... And I got, I got Frederick McKenzie's info on this website called kum.prkorea.com and this website is awesome if you are interested in more of this stuff what happened in the world and in Korea around this time you can go to kkum.prkorea.com so I'm just going to read through what I copied from this website (laughs) Frederick Arthur McKenzie was a Canadian journalist that covered several geopolitical developments in East Asia in the early 20th century He initially visited Korea in 1904 to cover the Russo-Japanese War as an Asian correspondent for the Daily Mail in London. At this time, he was favorable to Japan. However, he changed his mind after witnessing Japan's brutality on Koreans. So he came back to Korea again in 1906, recording the fall of Korea. Especially in 1907, when the nationwide Righteous Army movement broke out, he met and interviewed the Righteous Army soldiers in person. He published this experience as a book called Tragedy of Korea in 1908, which greatly resonated with the Western countries. He was also at the scene of the March 1st movement in 1919. A month later, 
when Japan caused the Jam Lee massacre in retaliation for the movement, Mackenzie informed the world of the truth based on the testimony of Frank Williams Scofield, a British doctor who witnessed the scene in person. Based on all his experience in Korea, Mackenzie published the book Korea's Fight for Freedom in 1920 to inform the world of Japanese atrocities and Korea's fight for independence. Mackenzie has continued to support the Korean independence movement by organizing the Korean Friendship Society in England in 1920. So he was basically foreign righteous army kind of person. Yeah, he was outside he was like, person that saw... He was an like ally, big yeah, ally. Yeah, exactly. And he could help spread it. Now, I want to ask you, there's a famous photo. Is he yeah. the one that uh, was a part of that? He's that, the one to that took that photo. Article? Yeah. Amazing, amazing photo. And you can see they this show, they took probably a lot of the costume ideas yeah. from this photo. Yeah, so you see he's fictional character in the last scene, last episode of the drama, and, and there's a scene the picture, like he's right? taking picture. Yeah. That's exactly, they basically recreated what That's he did. That's so cool, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can write about this stuff, but when you see a picture of it oh, with yeah. the writing, it yeah. just says so much more. And the reason that picture was so popular is, it got so popular is because the Western world had no idea this was going on. Yep, Especially exactly. in the West, like, you know, UK colonized so many African countries and, yeah. you know, like West Indies and all that, you know. So British the, imperialism, imperialism, yeah, was happening. Yeah, or Dutch. And, you know, they were just yeah. thinking like, okay, just country taking over country. But yep. they didn't necessarily link that with all the brutality and, right. you know, the mastermind behind and everything. So the Western was like, whoa, what, what is this, you know? So he was really the one that got the word out to educate people outside of Korea. At that time, it was it was interesting because you have all these countries, like you said, that are kind of establishing, still fighting for land and, mm -hmm. you know, boundaries and borders hadn't been set in certain areas. Right. And, you know, there's a lot of war still happening, right? We haven't been completely settled. So yeah. the only countries that people would care about are the ones that were putting up a fight. Yeah. If a country gets taken over, it's like, okay, it's taken over. There's nothing we can do about it. Now yeah. that's going to turn into whatever it turns into, right? Yeah. But the people that stood up and fought for what they believed in, they got attention, which means they got people interested. Right. And you can see that across history, like somewhere like South Africa, yeah. you know, with apartheid. Like you have so many you yeah. know, Dutch and different people coming in trying to take that over. but. Yep. How did it turn out? Well, you had someone stand up, you know, Nelson mm -hmm. Mandela and many people before him exactly. that said, hey, we're not going to stand for this. Yeah. And that's what the Koreans did, you know, which gave them, that's why they exist today. Yeah. And that's what's so cool about this. It's like, hey, this is the story of them fighting and existing. That's right. why we're, we're learning about them right now. So, yeah, basically, Hwang Ki-hwan, the Eugene Choi character, He's the one that led Mackenzie to these Righteous Army people. And said, hey, and you need to document Please this. document this, yeah. interview people, and, you know. But in what, he wrote four books. That's crazy. Four books just about Korea and what's happening in Korea at the time. I want to read one now. And <laughs> I want that one from 1920. Yeah, I think that was the, that's the big one. So in one of the books, I guess there's a question. Uh, he asked the question to Righteous Army people that, do you think you can beat the Japanese Empire? And one of the young army, I think this scene also might be in the drama. Maybe, Maybe they, they recruit. So he's like, do you think you can beat the Japanese empire? And one of the young army, the righteous army said, I know it's hard to win. We're going to be killed, but it's okay. 
It is much better to die as a free man than to live as Japan's slave. So I think that kind of became the big word、yeah. in the book. That's amazing. Yeah. So, with all his work and help and contribution, he was awarded the Order of Merit for National Foundation by the Korean government in 2014. So, that's basically like, I don't know. A century later. <laughs> a century later of his death, but,、yeah. you know, it's like the highest honor you could get. Yeah, yeah that, right. Yeah. Kind of like the、uh, Medal of Honor. Yeah, exactly. From、uh, the President of the United States. Yep. Highest civilian honor. It's、I、getting long, but.、Say. I'm sorry? It's the highest civilian honor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's getting long, but I, wanna, I don't want to miss out these two. So, the lady co, she's also a real person. Yay. Slightly modified. So, her real name in real life is Yun Hee Soon. She was born in Seoul in 1860 as the daughter of a strict Confucian family. Which they show in the show, which they document、yeah. in the show. And then he married into this family who was living in a different part of the Korea, and the family was known for kind of、uh, establishing Righteous Army,、mm. branch of that region.、Mm. <laughs> she became Righteous Army by marrying. By marrying someone. Yeah.、Oh, But okay. I, I'm sure like she married and her family married her because、oh, they. Because of the yeah, yeah, They knew the will of, you know, and they were all in that together. Right. So, you know, I guess her. Father in law was a famous Righteous Army captain. And she initially kind of helped by like making meals for the soldiers、mm-hmm. and like making clothes and stuff like that. It was typical, like what housewives could do for the battles, right? To support the war effort. <laughs> But then, you know, the Japanese forces got bigger and stronger. So she realized I can't just sit here making meals for them. So She gathered housewives around in her town and they basically became soldiers themselves. Nice. Female soldiers. Right. And when the country officially became the colony of Japan, her family fled to Manchuria. And this region, Manchuria, that was a big headquarter for Korean independence. Right. Outside、activists. of the country. Yeah. yeah. And what she did there is she built a school to educate the second generation of Koreans. And organized the family unit of the Korean independence group. But then her eldest son was arrested by the Japanese soldiers and he died from torture.、Mm. And I guess she also died 11 days after her son's death.、Mm. And she, it says she was 75. Wow. Didn't they also like demolish her house or something like that? So that part is、that's、from a different person. Oh, it's different person. But that's also a real story.、It? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Cool. Yeah, so, I remember you telling me that was a real thing.、I、yeah, sure so in the, the show,、thing. Lady Ko's house is like, it's basically kind of like the, you know. Well, it's an act of the Japanese army to say, hey, listen, like, we're going to destroy your, you know, your strong mentality. Right. By whatever person you believe and trust in, like, no, we're just going to destroy their home. But it doesn't work, it backfires. Right. So basically, what her house, it might not look that way, but. Typically, the high noble house you say 99、yeah. room house. Oh, okay. If there's an、like, expression or a 70 room house, or, I, I don't know exactly all the differentiations. But, so, her house, because she's not just noble, she's a scholar noble. So, it's regarded very high. The family is regarded very highly. And this is like, you know, 
kind of same as some famous castle in the West. Yeah, you for know, sure. You go into this, you see this castle standing there for like thousands of years. Yeah, that's the equivalent of where her house is. Gotcha. And this house is in Andong, which is a very traditional、um, small town in Korea. But you can travel there. It's it's really cool. There's a lot of cool stuff, old stuff, traditional. It's very Korean when you go there. But yeah, so house even has a name. It's called Imcheonga, and it's built in fifteen fifteen. Wow. One five one five, right? And it's a traditional large house built for a noble scholar, and I guess it was built for at the time it was some somebody who was serving the king, and. His descendants just lived there for centuries, and the last owner of this house was Yi Sangyong, who served as the first state decree of the provisional government of Shanghai branch. So I guess this Yi Sangyong activist is the descendants of this, you know, politician from 16th century. Wow, that's awesome! And because this house and his family, and you know, he probably educated other people to become activists and righteous army people and all that. So, Japan found that out in 1942, and they demolished the house. And the reason was they said we we have to yeah we have to build a railroad going exactly over, <laughs> over this house yeah going through this house. So they literally split the house in half. Yeah. <laughs> And but you know it was it was just a you know justification it was basically retaliation oh yeah because this house keep was, educating you know yeah, activists it was their fu to okay you're not going to do this we're going to put a railroad right in the middle of this yeah. house but I mean this is same thing as imagine like there's a beautiful castle in Germany all of a sudden well if the Americans just come in and say okay we're just going to now tear this down and put a railroad right in the middle just、yeah. to just to say hey we don't we don't want you we don't want your Nazi kind or whatever. So the good thing is now Korea government is spending a lot of money since 2014 for restoration.、Great. So I think the work is still going on. Right. So yeah,、that'd、I'm be, sure that'd be interesting work. Just being a part of that to restore and like find interesting facts about the past and see if they still exist and、yeah. educate the world about it. That'd be really neat. Yeah, it's a worthwhile cause. And lastly, Kim Hee Sung, the the rich fiance guy. Yeah, so he's also sort of based. He's on the, the paper guy. Yeah, paper guy.、Um, so his real name was Kim Yong Hwan, and when you look at the picture of this real person, they have a kind of same the round glasses. Oh yeah, it's very yeah. It they、similar. I think they try to recreate the look、right. pretty much the same. So he's from Andong, where this giant like big noble house is. So he's also from this area. That area in general has very. Um, high scholar, Confucian scholars. That's、mm. what the area is famous for. There are a lot of nobles.、Um, so he's from a very famous family in that area, and I guess you know his family really did have like a few money. Like yeah. So what he did was he was the money for righteous army activists and fighters and. Right, he supported he, them. But, but like you said in、money. the earlier beginning of the show, he couldn't do that. Openly, right. So what he did was he was known as the bad gambler.、Hmm. So he would just waste his life away、right. at the gambling scene. And you see a little bit in the show, like、They、he always goes that, to、yeah. Glory Hotel and he's always、right. sitting at the the gambling table and whatever, right? Well, I think he was, you know, the way that he was struggling to find a purpose. You know? Exactly. And、uh, 
coming from a rich family, like, you understand that plight a little bit. And also, like, you know, he didn't like his family necessarily. Exactly. So, yeah, he's completely And he didn't care off. necessarily about the money. Yeah. So, finally, when he was a part of this movement, it gave him a purpose and it gave him a reason and a way to spend his money. Right. And make him feel good about his life, I mean. So, here's the part. So, the way, the reason he was gambling is actually money laundering. Okay, so that's that was a way for him to get the money to the resistance. Right, players. and I guess there was a special like system that he did. Like he didn't like uh, manipulate the gamble, but right. like he would only bet a certain amount, or like he would only do this or that, and you know that way he can still save. But he looks like he's wasting his money away. Gotcha. So he'd say he basically he would report that he lost a lot of money, but really he maybe only lost half. Yeah. So half of it then would go So, like, when Japanese soldiers, or they see him as, like, he's a loser. He's like, a drunk. Yeah, gambler, he's just drunk loser, know. gambler, whatever. Perfect but really, out. that money was all, majority of his wealth was going to independent movement. That's great. Activist. So that's what it is. But, he, yeah, people always saw him as, you know, this life loser coming from a great family background. Mm. But, you know, his known life purpose, just wasting his life at the gamble scene. So, yeah, I'm sure a lot of other um, characters in the show are based on true characters. But, um, yeah, those are the ones that I know for fact. Well, you know, I you know, I hear these stories like this from my grandparents. So I feel like I'm sort of, I experienced that second-handed or something like that, you know. But, yeah, well, it was a part of you growing up. So, you, you, you know, you got those stories and you got an understanding of why it was important and yeah, I mean, for a fact, like, all Koreans back then, they couldn't speak Korean. So the only reason that the Korean language was still, language is still around and it's kept is because all these independence activists and righteous army, they kept teaching their children Korean language. Hmm. But if you were ever found out by the Japanese soldiers that you're speaking Korean, even like simple good morning, right? yeah, you're jailed and killed. Yeah, and all Koreans had to have Japanese name. Right. So you can't have your Korean name. All language has to be Japanese. You couldn't muster any Korean. Yeah, they so, were just trying to wipe out the whole culture yeah, exactly. any way they could. It was the money. It was the, the name, the yeah. language. It was everything. Yeah. And, you know, like when you go to Korean barbecue, like you, um, I think one of the famous, like mm-hmm. the pork belly. Mm-hmm. There's a reason pork Koreans started eating pork belly. Right. Before Japanese occupation, Koreans didn't really eat pork belly. They only used it as a grease. Yeah, gotcha. In cooking, they didn't necessarily eat that, but it's actually, um, I don't want to go into too much, like, you know, geeking out, but it's from the J- Japanese occupation era. Mm. That's why Koreans started eating pork gotcha. belly. But yeah, um, I don't, so, you know, for me, this drama comes, this drama feels very close. And I think that's why. When I was in London, I couldn't, like, I couldn't tour the British Museum. Like, I went inside, but I couldn't really look at, like, every chamber, everything. Right. Because a lot of those artifacts are from their colonies. Yeah, British colonies, yeah. When they were trying to take over the world. And I don't know, I just didn't feel comfortable being in there looking at those stuff like um, in some art museum, you know. And I think that comes from my secondhand experience of this era, like learning, hearing it from my grandparents and, you know. Well, you, you're, you know, you're a person who understands, you know, what it really is and why it's important 
and not everyone has that context. You know, right. you've got that context from your grandparents, and right. because the occupation lasted so long, it, you know, it spilled into your generation and how you grew yeah. up. You know, yeah. a lot of people in America and in England, they don't necessarily have that context. Right. You know, so to them, it's just whatever kind of history somebody 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 did something to somebody. You know. Yeah. But yeah, it's a it's a really interesting context story. The whole Korean story is is so unique and and really just fascinating. And the characters in the show are, um, you know, just just a few of just the many probably people you know. Yeah. That kind of helped and contributed to you know making Korea what it is today. You know, to change the air a little bit, getting a little dark. So <laughs> this show has a lot of famous quotes, famous lines. Yeah. And I think some are like funny, some are really serious, some are sad. And, you know, um, just to mention a few of them. Um, one is Kudo Hina, the Japanese Korean hotel owner. Yeah. She refers Eugene Choi as stranger, but in the context that she says, if this big plan doesn't go right, America will say he's, he's Korean. Hmm. Right. America will blame him because he's Korean. Yeah. Oh, he's Korean. And Korean will blame him because he's American. Right. So he's just a stranger. Belongs nowhere. That's great. Yeah. And I was like, well, I kind of feel that way because I, I don't. Now I'm like, I'm Korean, but when I go to Korea, people don't look at me as Korean. <laughs> but They're like, like You're here, American. I'm not like, I'm not American here. Right. I mean, I am American, but I'm not American. So I was like, yeah, that's so true. Yeah, that hits home for you, huh? And the next one I liked was that Eugene Choi would like aim at Lady Ko in the first few episodes. Like the first time they meet and Eugene Choi aims his gun at Lady Ko. Yeah. And then he's like, don't get on my nerve because American gun, because my American gun don't discriminate <laughs> because it's democratic. That's funny. You get it? Yeah. Because he's from like this low class family, so he knows and Yeah, well he's saying like I'll kill you, it doesn't matter, I don't yeah. care. Because American guns It's not about that. Like, yeah, I'm I'm undemocratic, my, yeah. Yeah, if you get in our way, then you're gonna die. It doesn't matter who you are. And my really, really favorite is there are several scenes regarding this throughout the whole show, but Lady Coast going to this like a missionary school. Yeah. To learn English, right? Right. So it starts from A B C. So all the words that starts with A. So she starts like A oh, something right. something like apple that. like yeah. whatever, right? And then B is banana boy and right. So they go through the alphabet, and right. you see that throughout the episode. So like right. in episode five, they're learning like letters, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then um, she asked Eugene Choi, and like you seem to know English very well. So let me ask you something. And she has like this attitude because she's a noble woman. Right. Talking to this foreigner who's supposed to be a low class, right? So she's like asking, you seem to know English very well. So, so let me ask you something. She's like, what is love? Right? That's right. And then he's like, well, why are you asking? Where did you hear that? And then she's like, well, somebody told me that it's something better than the king or something better than the position in the royal castle right you know and then Eugene Cho is like well maybe but you can't do that on your own hmm that's right because you need a partner right <laughs> and then Lady Ko is like 
well, would you do that with me then? <laughs> but she has no context, she right? She doesn't know what it and is. She's like, like, would you do it with me? And then Eugene is like, kind of like looking at her. It's like, well, are you hesitating because I shoot guns as a noble woman? You know? Right. And then Eugene says, it's much more difficult than shooting gun, much more dangerous, and it needs to be hotter than gun. <laughs> That's what he says. But then, like later, they start date or they start having feelings for each other. Yeah, and then they talk about it again. I think they're th- th- that scene, the the camera work and the scenery is so yeah. beautiful. They're like on this stone bridge kind of thing. Mm-hmm. She at that point, like she knows what love is, right? Right. So she was saying to Eugene, like, I thought love was gonna be easy, but it's too difficult. And Eugene was like, Well, if it's difficult, you can stop here, right? And she's like, We can always stop it. So let's not do that today. But today, let's walk forward. Hmm. So teach me. We introduce ourselves. We shook hand. And what's next in love? Hmm. And Eugene was like, I don't think you could do it because it's hug. Because as a noble woman, like in She's Korea, not, like, yeah, yeah I can't. mean, shaking hands was a big thing, right? Right, you can't as a go 40, with people. forty men, yeah, stranger man. So Eugene was like, "I don't think you could do the next one because it's hug." <laughs> and then she runs to him and she hugs him, and she's like, "I already learned all H." Oh, that's funny. She was already in the H's. Yeah, she's like, she goes and she runs up to him and she hugs him and like, oh. Yeah, that was a good. Moment. I already learned H. Yeah. I love that one. But yeah, it's getting super long, but you know, like I just said, like there's really great romantic moments, um, some sad romans, fun romans. I think the fun part mostly comes from Hee-sung, the fiancé part. He's a funny character. Well, the shop owners are funny too. Oh my God, the shop, the dynamic duo. But yeah, I think the main theme of the show is, you know, Besides the love and what types of love, what you can do for love, sacrifice, and all that. I think another big thing is that, you know, even if it's a country or society that made the citizens suffer, is it worth to protect that country? You know? Yeah. That's I think the that's choice. the question that's, yeah. yeah. Everyone has that choice in the show. Exactly. Yeah. You know, if you ever travel to Korea, a lot of places to go, but please visit Seodaemun Prison. So it's basically Auschwitz of Korea. It's very close to the center of Seoul. You go there, you can see things, um, just all the stuff that were used against Koreans. I mean, it's yeah, it's it's Auschwitz basically. I think. If you don't visit this prison and travel to Korea, you're missing out. For me, when I travel to different countries, the knowing the culture and history, yeah, knowing the history, not just the culture, is a big part. Yeah, the past, what they've been through. Yeah. And because this dark period is a really big part of Korea, it's still affecting what Korea is now. So, right. Yeah, Seodaemun Prison, I highly recommend you to visit. And, you know, I can go on and on and on about this episode. I actually have a couple notes that I haven't gone over, but we're 
geeking out so much and I think going over an hour on this stuff is <laughs> probably more than enough. Well, the re- the reality is that, you know, we barely touched the surface. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when we're talking about the history and how, you know, the country got to where it is right now, mm-hmm. you can just, yeah, you can, you can go on and on. What's cool about this show, it takes place just before the Japanese occupation. Yeah. It gives you the context of how and why this possibly started. Right. And it lets you into understanding how the people dealt with it and mm-hmm. what happened. And it gives you that whole, it's almost like an origin story. Yeah. And the biggest takeaway for me after watching this, I was like, now I want to see the next 40 years. Like, I want to watch a show about mm. the occupation, what they did, that all those part, battles. Yeah, there everything. are a lot of yeah shows. So, so it makes you, you know, it makes you Prepared. really interested. Yeah. And the characters are great. So, yeah. And you learn, you learn so much. But mostly you learn, you know, just about, like, the importance of... Uh, you know, humanity and, and, you know, what the Korean people have had to deal with. and Why Koreans are so feisty. Uh, <laughs> it really does give you a window into, you know, into that. But it's just really enjoyable. But yeah, we could talk about it forever, man. It's so interesting. And what's not better than a love story set in difficult time? I remember you, tragedy. <laughs> you asked me, too, well, who's my favorite character on the last episode? Yeah. And I think I I really like Lady Ko's character. Mm. I mean, she is the quintessential, like, morally, she's invested the most in protecting her country. She's a noble by day, and then by night, she's literally a resistance fighter, Mm -hmm. sniper, assassin. And she's the one who is, like, saying, hey, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make this happen. Like, she's basically saying, I'm going to single-handedly make push us through and save our country and our people. Yeah. So that's such a cool, what a cool character to have in a Korean show as, as your main protagonist, you know? Yeah. A female freedom fighter, basically. Yeah, exactly. It's so cool. And also the fact that she was real, maybe like a little different details, but the fact that, you know, that's how much, you know, the freedom fighters and activists were active back then yeah exactly because like women didn't really do much but the fact that like men even like made her as a captain right when the the time came yeah yeah i mean throughout history you see that especially with women like people putting them down and saying okay you're just a woman you can't do this yeah but there's one or two that pop up yeah that gain the respect of the men and there's no choice Yeah. yeah joan of arc um there's a woman in the american west who uh, came up like around the time of Bill Hickok. I can't remember her name now. Um, she helped with uh, when they had the bubonic plague, and I can't remember her name. Anyway, she was just like you know somebody that was like a fighter, and yeah, that that always happens. Like you can't underestimate everybody, you know, just because they're women. But yeah, she's she's probably my favorite, and then he's the other guy, the samurai guy, is probably yeah. my like. Most the most interesting character. I think the samurai guy is just really sad character. He's sad. I think that's why that's I like him. Why I'm His story, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is sad. But you know, there's a saying in Korea that um, the family name Ko. Yeah. Well, because like I said, you can all trace all families. Yeah. Right? So the family Ko, especially female with the family name Ko, is very feisty. They're difficult to control. <laughs> 
That's sort of the like saying people saying. Oh, you've got a, you married a co. Oof. And I am actually a co. So yeah, you are. Yeah. You have all the attributes, Miss Lady Co. You know when you think about that drama Misty. Yeah. The news anchor Co. That was she co was Co. Yeah. That's right. Awesome. That's really anyway. great. Well, thank you. I didn't sing today, but that's okay. Should I sing national anthem? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Korea is a national anthem. Is there a freedom fighter song? You know, actually, I forgot to say that the the real Lady Co. character, mm-hmm. Moon Hee Sun, Yoon Hee Sun, she also wrote songs. Mm-hmm. You know, there was like That's a important. marching songs yeah. or like encouragement song for the armies. Mm-hmm. So I guess she wrote songs and more importantly, lyrics. She was a good writer. Hmm. So she wrote lyrics She's and smart. She's apparently, educated. yeah, apparently, a seventeen of her songs are still around oh, that's like cool. it's kept in the document yeah should i take the lyrics and create um songs and modern modern american folk wow. songs out of with those your lyrics? guitar or yeah. like your computer <laughs> yeah you definitely could and we will send it to this website kum.prkorea.com 17 songs huh yeah that'd be fun i'll let you go to work you're gonna be late sorry yep time to go work thank you everybody See you enjoy bye appreciate it bye